Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. everyone and welcome to episode 559 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. So Todd, yes? at my super secret science job, I had a uh, tele-meeting with one of the supervisors today and we were lamenting on some things and so forths and whatnot, how they run. And she had said that we were sold that this, what we're using is supposed to be the Cadillac of these sort of things. You chimed up, please tell me. Of course I did. <laughs> I had to tell her the whole thing. I go, well, a friend of ours bought this desk chair, and on the desk chair description, it said the Lamborghini of these desk chairs. So that everything that we do with the podcast is the Lamborghini of because of that. She goes, oh, and my date was the Cadillac. You guys have really gotten better to the Lamborghini. I go, I I go, Cadillac sounds familiar, but I just felt as though Lamborghini was so ostentatious to, like, refer to your desk chair. Well, me and the fancy gentleman were discussing it once. We feel that, that like, back in the day when you had a Cadillac, it meant something. Yeah. But they look generic now, and they're not the quality that they were. Where... Uh, a Lamborghini is expensive and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if I'm, you know, making my point, but so I think it's moved to Lamborghini. Well, what about Ferrari or Aston Martin or, you know, Rolls Royce or any of these things, you know, I loved Aston on the Adams family in night court. That's no, his, right. I thought you were going to say Uchur, but no, not him. Right. But I like you can uh, and see the I get where you're coming from. Like the price of a higher end Cadillac, you can get a tricked out to the gills, quote unquote, Ford F one fifty for the same price. Right, and now they and then they got into like SUVs and Escalade, and I'm like, nah. But you know, you buy a Lamborghini, that's what you're buying it for, you know. All right. So again, it's the Lamborghini as Todd says, of comic book podcast. Let's get into the news this week. I <laughs> uh, got a bunch of interesting things. Um, a long since thought to not be coming back book that had a definitive ending is coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Spencer is starting to venture out into other ways to promote and publish his books, which is very interesting, this avenue. And uh, Image uh, is outright lying about something not being collected. What? <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, we have a convention to discuss this week, which crosses over on both shows. Uh, we have the digital sales this week. And I'm just going to say a specific sale that we spoke into existence without even knowing it. <laughs> Uh, what we read this past week, which is Joker number four and six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton number one. What we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd and Joe have issues as we continue reading Jonah Hex and the Spider Clone Saga. Uh, Todd's art attack and discussions of the most recent episodes of Legends of Tomorrow and the debut episode of the Disney Plus series Loki. Right. So I got a full show. I didn't miss anything. Not we'll no. Get to, it, get to it. 
Right. You I did the opening, notebook. so n- nothing was missed. Right. So starting things off, uh, after having a definitive ending, Fables is coming back as a black label book, but it's coming back as two books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's returning with issue 151. And then there's also going to be a six-issue miniseries of Batman vs. Bigby, A Wolf in Gotham. Uh, It appears though both are going to be written by uh, original creator Bill Willingham. Mark Buckingham is going to be doing uh, the art on the Fables book itself. Brian Level is going to be doing the art on the Batman-Bigby crossover. Uh, So I'm torn, okay? Right. Because um, I feel as though um, Fables had a definitive ending. I'll take your word for it because I've never read an issue of Fables. Okay, and I feel as though Fables may have even gone a little bit beyond. It may have stretched things out a little bit to get to that issue 150. Right, but you still think it was overall good at, from beginning to end, though, right? Uh, I So... So difficult to say. I would say, like, the first 50 issues are fantastic. Mm-hmm. The next 50 issues are pretty good. The next 20 issues are pretty good. The next 30 issues are good to fair. But it was, like, the last stretch. I would say, like, the last 8 to 10 issues just kind of felt like, meh, you so- know? Since you said it had a definitive ending, and I, you know, I, I don't really want to know because it's one of those things that I do intend to read maybe someday. But do you think it it ended on an okay note at least? Yeah. Okay. It was it was um a major plot thread that was started in issue one in a kind of sort of will they won't they sort of scenario mm-hmm. that wrapped up nicely in issue one fifty. Okay. See- um. So here's the thing. I'm a fan of the book, so I'll be getting this. Mm-hmm. Um, the Batman Big B. So, and the other thing is, so the Batman Big B is going to be your feeder to get back into it because, of course, if we're going to try to get you to read anything at DC, we're going to throw Batman in it. Oh. And it's a six issue miniseries that's going to come out in this this September, and then Fables One Fifty One Legacy Numbering comes out next May two thousand twenty one. Right. I kind of wish you made me read Fables instead of the Clone Saga. Well, we could start doing it now if you want. No, I think it's too far gone. But no, I. it's interesting because I wonder what I'm going to do now, you know, because that'll probably be like one of the books you're going to read for the show. So do I have to hammer through 150 issues of Fables for next year? No, so this is going to be my thought. Being that this is a book that has been finished for... Geez, I don't know how many years, you know? Right. Um, it's been finished for like six years, maybe? Five, six years? Okay. It's going to be interesting to see how people get back into it. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, it's a smart thing to do the miniseries of Batman in there because people are going to try a Batman book. Um, but they're going to have a lot of, like, refresher to get you back up to speed on this book. Which, I mean... I. I guess it'll work because I, I, I'm talking that I have no knowledge of other than I've heard a lot of people talk about how good it is. So everything I'll have to take is your word, you know? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we're, we're looking the, the first thing's not coming out for another three months, but uh, I got to have the whole series. Like 
there were miniseries and stuff that were not written by Bill Willingham, and I kind of can take or leave some of those. Some of the the your mileage may vary on those, right? Right. Uh, they did like a Cinderella miniseries, then they were doing like a second series of Jack of All Fables. And then once they stopped being written by Bill Willingham, even though they were good writers on them, they just didn't feel as important. But it's the continuation of a series that I liked very much Mm -hmm. being written and, you know, for the most part done by the original creative team. So they got me, you know. Right. And I get what you're saying on uh, the thing, because when it was Sandman and Sandman put all those like offshoots on, if it wasn't Neil Gaiman, I didn't need them, you know. Yeah. So another creator that I'd say that we both like, uh, Nick Spencer, is attempting to go a different route with his comic book imprint. And I threw this in here only because I'm somewhat familiar with Substack. Substack is more of a, and again, I don't want to say prose sort of thing, but people that write for websites or write for magazines or newspapers or stuff like that. Um, typically when they can't or won't be able to get work through those other avenues, Substack is a place where they could put their writings and one, not have to worry about it. Like I had a friend of mine, David, who worked for a bunch of different magazines that sadly over the last like two, three years went out of business. So a lot of his work just doesn't exist anymore. Right. Because those websites where those things were housed just went away when those magazines or newspapers or websites went away. Mm Mm-hmm. And you could look stuff up on, like, archive.org and stuff like that, but it's not the same, especially when you're a working writer or researcher or reporter or whatever, and you want to show people your work. It's like, well, some of it's here and some of it's there, and then you got to put this into archive.org or whatever it is, but Substack is a way to just kind of, like, have all your stuff live forever. Okay. And then it's how much you can have... And then you, you know, they limit how much you can have as a free account. And then you go to Substack Pro and you pay a little bit more. But if you're a working writer, reporter, um, researcher, etc., sometimes it's worth it so that you have all of your stuff in one spot and you can give it to other people and say, check out all my stuff here and check out all my stuff there. So to see Nick Spencer attempting to use that as a comic distribution model is very interesting to me. Right. Um, I'm really like, and I get what you're saying. Like, uh, you know, I'm not dense, dense, but the whole like idea of it, like I, I'm a comic physical in my hand kind of deal. So yeah. like, this is confusing to me, if that makes any sense. Well, um, I'm, I'm listen, I'm a comic book in my hand guys as well. But when you look at something like Brian K. Vaughn's panel syndicate, right? Mm-hmm where that stuff does not get print. It's only digital. You get your PDF. You get your CBZ, whatever format you want digitally. You get whatever language. I think he puts, when they do put stuff up there, it's in multiple languages that you can get it, right? I get those digitally because that's, I'm a fan of Brian K. Vaughn. I like to have all of his stuff and that's the only way I can get it. And I got Mm -hmm. no problem paying a buck or two bucks because it's pay whatever you want. I can go there and pay nothing and get it. Right. Right. But I like the guy. I like to support the guy. It's not like it's a weekly thing or a monthly thing. It's a, when it comes out thing. Mm -hmm. So panel syndicate is whatever that Brian K Vaughn and Marcos Martin and a couple other folks that have had do stuff there, but it's mostly Vaughn and Marcos Martin. This 
Substack is kind of a much larger thing, which doesn't just have like one or two people. And from what I understand is they hired Nick Spencer to kind of be the recruiter for this. Right. Or to be the ambassador or the face of this. So that Nick Spencer is the one who's going out and recruiting other comic book people who want to do their own creator own stuff instead of trying to do it themselves. It's like, okay, well, we you could come to Substack and your stuff will live here forever. Right. Because, you know, Comixology was purchased by Amazon and everything's on Comixology. But, you know, who knows where, like, who knows where Substack's going to be in five years? Who knows where Comixology's going to be in five years, right? Right. It's all moving so fast, Joe. Yeah. So it's just that this is a revenue stream in Substack, a revenue generator in Nick Spencer getting together in putting some sort of other way out there for people to get comic books. Right. And uh, just side note, you mentioned Brian K. Vaughn, right? I was on Twitter today and uh, Baltimore Comics put up a big thing that said, uh, it had like a big picture, a saga, you know, uh, a JPEG there. And it was like, Brian K. Vaughn coming back. And I like marked out and it was like, to Baltimore Comic Con. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like, you got me. You got me. I thought you were saying he was bringing back saga. So I got sad. No, because I, I didn't see the tweet, but I got the email because I'm on the Baltimore list, you know? Right, right. And mm. the, the list just said, Brian K. Vaughn is coming to Baltimore. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. No misdirections here. Gotcha. Now, last but not least, um, there is an Image Weekly series coming out in August, which is called Skybound X. Say August, July. My apologies. It's a weekly series written by Robert Kirkman, and it's a whole bunch of Kirkman stuff all crossing over with itself with Rick Grimes being the linchpin of all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other, um, books that are going to be in there with little short stories of different image properties. Um, everything from manifest destiny to Stillwater to the upcoming to, to be discussed on the show. Uh, six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. Uh, Assassin Nation is going to have stuff in there. So it's going to be the Rick Grimes front story, and it's going to be all these different side stories of all these other Image books, right? Mm-hmm. And Image just stated today that this ser- this five-issue weekly miniseries will not be collected in any way, shape, or form after this. Just like all the others before him that have said the same thing and they've never been collected. It's one of the, like, Uncle Ben stays dead and when they say they're not going to uh, collect something, they don't. So I 100% believe this, Joe. Right. Well, this, and again, it's, I could see if it was another image project, but it's just like when uh, Kirkman had the Michonne origin story that was going to be just in that issue of Playboy mm-hmm. and it wasn't going to be... Um, reprinted or republished anywhere else. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Until it was. Right. Uh, was then it? there was the Negan story that was in the Image Comics previews that was only going to be available in there and not reprinted anywhere else. Right. And they never Until reprinted it. Until it was. 
Oh, that's right. So I I didn't believe them the first time. I really didn't believe them the second time. And I really don't believe them this time. Right. And the only cool thing about it is like, um, like I have no desire in the Walking Dead stuff, the Rick like crossover stuff, which I wonder if they're going to have the, if it's going to somehow tie into Donnie Cates too, because of crossover, you know what I mean? But um, like when, when walking dead ended the comic, I was done with Rick Grimes. I was done with walking dead, but I like the idea of the short stories that are be like this, the six triggers and uh, assassin nation and whatever else is in there. Because I, at first I thought they were just going to be maybe, the first issues of these miniseries, like sell me on the Rick Grimes stuff sell, or sell the masses on the Rick Grimes and then slide in like, you know, a, a book maybe you've never read and then maybe you'll go the other one. But the fact that these are going to be short stories, I will definitely pick now. I will definitely pick up a couple of these just because I'd rather have the single issue and then put it with my, uh, you know, collection of whatever the short story goes with in my short boxes. I like the idea. Yeah. I, and and this was one of those things I know where I didn't really need to read this. I didn't even know until more recently that they were doing all these little short story sort of things in there. Mm-hmm. I really thought that they were doing some sort of like celebration of 10 years of Skybound imprint and image, whatever. But I was all for new Rick Grimes stuff just to see what they do with it. And the fact that because it's like, crossovery stuff that I thought it was going to cross over into Donny Cates' crossover, as we say crossover a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm like, they're going to, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, they're going to slip something with crossover into this. So I just need to make sure that I don't miss out on this when it hits the speculator market and people are ripping it up because issue three has some sort of clue about the crossover universe, you know? Right. Did you order these now? Yes. But even back when they were in the previews? Yes. Okay, I did not. So I'm probably going to miss out on these. There's still time to order, Todd. They wouldn't have put this out saying that they're definitely not going to collect this in a trade or a hardcover mm-hmm. if there wasn't still time to order. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, but they did say that they will do they'll they'll do multiple printings of these as long as they're ordered, of course. It's just no trades, no hardcovers, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> right, right. Like I said, third time's not the charm, you know? Mm-hmm. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me 37 times, shame on me. Right. So that's all that's in the news. Uh, conventions, we're going to do our best to kind of keep you abreast of stuff here. Uh, the only one that's really going on this weekend is less of a comic book convention. Uh, but adjacent to one of the other shows on the network, or at least two of the other shows on the network, or maybe three at this point, uh, this Saturday uh, in Girard, Ohio, and that's Girard with a G, not with a J, mm-hmm. uh, at the Metroplex Expo Center is Toy Hio Toy Show, and the Toy Boys themselves, the figure four or the core four, uh, Hawkins, Broski, uh, Smart Mark Sterling of AEW fame, and uh, Mr. Six WrestleManias, Mr. Chocolate Doodoo Fingers, Star of Muppets Most Wanted, and Leprechaun <laughs> Origins, Dylan Hornswoggle Pasta will be there as well. 
Right. Um, does he have actually do uh, chocolate doo doo fingers in that picture? Not in that picture. Uh, but again, the toy boys don't like him handling uh, the stuff because they're afraid that he has chocolate and doo doo all over his fingers. Oh, okay. Cookies and dirt and cookies would be the equivalent for this. Yeah, show. It's, the, it's the equivalent of mud and cookies from uh, my kid touching your Ninja Turtles omnibus. You know, that's right, right. But my kid was a month and a half old at that point. Ugh. And that's uh, when but, the feud began with me and him. Yes. Uh, but if you're in the Ohio area, um, I don't think the show itself is sold out. Uh, but the wrestling show the day before is that all the toy boys are going to be at. And if you're a fan of uh, this show or at odds uh, or porch talk, but uh, the fancy gentleman, Adam will be at both those events. Right. You'll find him. He'll be the one with all the Alexa bliss figures in his arms as he's wandering around. And the authority is a safe distance behind him. That is true. Sir, how many Alexa bliss standees do you need? Really? Is he going to buy the doll when they make a replica of it? Uh, I think he has a bunch of the current ones, but they haven't done a doll of the spooky Alexa, or they haven't done Alexa's spooky doll. Right, right. And, well, again, this will be for at odds discussion tomorrow. I'm not going to bore you, Todd, or the listeners here with this sort of stuff. But if you're looking forward to listening to that, of course... Uh, you can find all these shows at soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com, uh, where any of the shows in the network appear there, as opposed to worrying about your pod catcher, finding them, getting those sort of notifications, worrying about an update. You just go to soon to be named network.com. And whenever the latest episodes of this show, long box heroes after dark at odds with wrestling, final wrestling place. We need wrestling. Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, or Porch Talk come out. You can find it there. Or any time that any of the folks from those shows appear on other shows, you can find it there. My appearance on the super fantastic Kevin Smith edition, talking about Clerks the Animated Series, will be coming out this week. Uh, I'm not really sure what day this week, but you'll be able to find it there. And Marcus of Final Wrestling Place is going to be on the A show this week. Uh, I think he's recording the episode as we speak. And uh, you'll be able to find that there when that goes up. Better not be talking about any helmets. No, no, no. I don't think there's anyone who has a helmet in 1994 World Championship Wrestling. Uh, didn't uh, one of the, the Snyder boys have that? No, you're thinking of the Steiner brothers, and they were in Japan in 1994. Ah, Okay. You're the one continuing the wrestling talk. I'm just saying. Right. Uh, but comic book stuff, of course. Uh, listeners of the shows, friends of the show, Chris Runt and Jason Sandberg, respectively, have their digital comic offerings, Battle Monsters and Jupiter, over at Comixology. Uh, Kevin Hellions has his uh, blog of different reviews and videos of different thrift store finds over at mastlibrary.com. Uh, the Chop Shop, freekaratishops.storeenvy.com. Uh, you can check out all of the cool resin and glow-in-the-dark sci-fi fantasy wrestling-inspired figures uh, that he does there. And he even got a shout-out on the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast this week. Wow. Uh, I guess he went to their live show this past week, uh, gave some of the Toy Boys some of his workings, and they were all very impressed with his work. So good job on you, Rick. Uh, yep. 
You could also check out our friend Becky, her original art that she does. She just did a bunch of romance uh, inspired variant covers, sketch cover things. And then I guess she put them up on eBay as well. Yes, I believe they're on the uh, the retailer's website. Okay. So the Becky's eBay site. Oh, I'm sorry? The retailer's eBay site, not his website. Sorry. Gotcha. So Becky is branching out more and more. But if you want to check out her work, you can certainly go to her Instagram. Or as Todd mentioned, she put those up on the store's eBay page. And that store is Comics Out of the Green, which is our local comic book shop. Besides having an eBay store with tons and tons of stuff at great, great prices. Shipped out very well in fantastic condition uh if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area they also do a brisk subscription mail order service so all the links to all of these things that i just mentioned are gonna be in the show notes yes also a bunch of books are on sale this week a ton of stuff Uh, a lot of holdovers from last week but a lot of new stuff as well uh, Marvel having a sale on Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, Infinity uh, stuff, that Infinity crossover from a couple years ago. The low-key sale is still ongoing from Marvel. Uh, DC has both a start of summer sale and a Pride Month sale going on. The Valiant Deluxe Edition sale is still going on. Dark Horse is having a sale on stuff that's been made into streaming shows. On sale, Dynamite have a sale on Horror and Vampirella, which would be one sale, I would think, but obviously it's not. Boom is having a sale on James Taney and the Fourth stuff, and that does include, I would think, Wind and Something is Killing the Children. Both of those books are critically acclaimed. Uh, Oni and IDW having a sale on Pride and uh, LBGT-related stuff. Image having an original graphic novel sale, and that's where you could pick up the Ed Brubaker criminal and criminal adjacent stuff. But most importantly, most notably, Marvel is having a sale on Incredible Hulk-related things. And nothing is more incredible than Immortal Hulk. So that is on sale currently. I think the sale ends Sunday. Okay. And you can get the entire run of Immortal Hulk for, again, doing my Gazintas, uh, up to what's currently collected which would be up to issue 40 for 23 bucks. Wow. Uh-huh. I know you've, you've made a concerted effort to like look for the immortal Hulk stuff because weren't you saying like the, the sales never fell like when we could push them. Right. And just last week I said that we really need to push this because they would all like Mar- Marvel does a Marvel Monday sale, right? We're just one day. Here's a big thing that's on sale, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously we record on a Tuesday night that goes out on a Wednesday. So for us to plug what that Monday sale is, we don't even know as we record this or like, oh, two days ago they had the sale, right? There's nothing right. anyone could do about it. So I think we spoke this into existence last week by saying that we we're going to make a more concerted effort about when Immortal Hulk is on sale. Hey, Immortal Hulk is on sale. Marvel heard us, man. And even further still, uh, I know we actually I know we have some new listeners this week, Todd. Do we really? We do. And uh, if you have the Marvel Unlimited thing, and that's like nine bucks a month or whatever it is, like, Mm -hmm. you know, come for Immortal Hulk. Like, okay, $23 and you get to own Immortal Hulk digitally. Great. But if you don't care about that, sign up for the free trial, pay the $9 a month, read all of Immortal Hulk, and then as it comes out, read more, read Vision, Read Jason Aaron's Thor. 
read this. No, don't read the Spider Clone Saga. But there's tons of great stuff that you could read. And from what I understand, the Marvel Unlimited has gotten much better with organization and with um, complete runs of stuff where it's just not random issues of stuff are missing. So definitely check that out if you don't care about owning the books digitally, if you just want to read them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Marvel Unlimited is, is your way. But if you're not, if you want to own them digitally, first 40 issues plus for 23 bucks, you can't beat it. Right. So let's get into what we read this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I would like to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. Yes, written by Kyle Starks with art by Chris Schweizer. Mm-hmm. Go for um, it. Basically, this story is about a character. Imagine Chuck Norris, um, a, a la Walker, Texas Ranger, and other projects in this book. But he's absolutely the dirt worst person you're ever going to meet. Um, and this is the story of him, and I'm just going to go right from the spoiler. Not a spoiler, but it's very early in the story. Um, he dies, um, and people think it's, you know, he's taken his own life. But his sidekicks from the various TV shows, well, definitely one of them over the years, believes it was a murder. And he gets together with the other five uh, that were in his TV shows over the years, and they decide to look into... Uh, what has happened to him. And that's just the elevator pitch for this book. Cause I don't want to give too much away, but uh, I, I absolutely love this book, the story, the art, there's these bits where we're introduced to each of the sidekicks and then we're given a bit of like a TV guide blurb to the TV show that they were in, which are like these nostalgia things to me, like, cause they're nods to various TV shows that I would know. And if you were like a big fan of Kyle Stark's writing from like rock candy mountain or assassination, um, like that's all there. Um, and then at the end, there's like an, like an interesting thing with a prose thing where someone was doing an interview with trigger so we get to see into his life and i believe there are clues everywhere in this to like you know what happened to trigger but um i'm i'm having a blast on this i can't give this you know i can't tell people enough to give this book a try because even before we started joe was just telling me he's like todd i think this book is definitely up your alley and he's like you're 100 true i this is the most fun i've had like fun laughed uh reading a comic in a while yeah so as todd mentioned you know we get these six different sidekicks and our main character miles Nguyen, is uh they just filmed a pilot for that was going to be uh trigger keaton's comeback i guess right Mm -hmm. so when we are introduced to all the other sidekicks as todd mentioned we see like the tv guide blurb on one side and then we see the newspaper thing of like what they're falling out with trigger keaton was mm-hmm. and because miles new just filmed the pilot he hasn't had the chance to uh have the falling out with him yet right right and each of the different sidekicks are very different very and i would not say one note but very specific to whatever that show was and some people have grown and moved on from that or on others have embraced it and as todd mentioned of course Not only are there tons of clues in this, but there's tons of just random jokes all over the place. 
Um, one of my favorites is at the funeral. Uh, there's a giant banner on the wall that said, God must have needed a little more Kung Fu in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and as, as you mentioned, we've both been fans of Kyle's work for a very long time. Um, I would hate to say that this is just the same old, same old, because the way that Kyle writes is just so engaging and so funny and it's not like a laugh at you, the audience sort of funny. It's kind of you're in on the joke with all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. He's hitting on a lot of those same tropes that, tropes that you and I, Todd, and maybe many of you listening to this relate to, whether it be old 70s action movies or 80s or 90s or any of that sort of stuff, um, whether it be the guy who goes on to make the movies, uh, you know, the cop show, the failed the, – the, the failed comebacks, all those sort of things. But then the book continues toward the end where it kind of treats what we're reading as a TV show um, because they're like next episode as opposed to saying next issue. And then there's like print ads for the show, like when it's going to air. And I wish we could, like, there's an ad in the back where you can sign up for the Trigger Keaton Circle of Friends fan club. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is no address for you to send your $7.95 to, but I absolutely would join today the circle of the, the Trigger Keaton Circle of Friends fan club. You you beat me to it because I'm like, all right, if I can't mail it, can I PayPal it? Do I go directly to Kyle Starks or <laughs> uh, do I go to Chris Schweizer? I'm like, who? But yeah, like you said, because the, the, the fun thing I like about this book is it – like literally uh, makes use of every page from the cover to the inside cover to all the pages in the middle to the inside back cover and the, you know, the, the back cover, like the back cover is an autographed picture of Trigger Keaton, which cracks me up. And then like, I don't want to give like too many of the jokes, the joke that you, you like the best. I love the ad for the TV show. That's on the second to last page. And it's in the book on a wall where it's uh, him as you know, as, as the character doing a, like a jumping kick. And it's like, these boots were made for justice. Um, and the name of the show is martial art. Oh my God. I pop for that so hard. <laughs> and then the fact that it's on, um, the network, not ABC, but ABS, ABS. I was like, oh, I need all the issues to this right now because I'm having such a blast. And I look forward to getting that uh, that what that mini story that's in the, uh, the, what was the name of the book? I forget that we mentioned earlier. Uh, the Skybound Axe. Yep, I'll be getting that too. More for Kyle Stark stuff than the actual uh, the actual, well, according uh, to the solicitations, the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton thing is an issue four, and the assassination thing is an issue three. So, um, I'll say subject to change, but we're you know less than two weeks away from that miniseries kicking off. So, yep, I'll give you I'll give you the Iggy when I know if something has changed. You know, right? You're on top of that kind of stuff, Joe. I try to be. Mm-hmm. So the other book that we both read from this past week was Joker number four, uh, written by, and again, I feel terrible because DC's website is so terrible, uh, written by James Tinney and the fourth main story, of course, uh, with art by Gilliam or Gilliam March, maybe Gilliam March. I have the book in my hand. Yes. Okay. Um, I'll get this out of the way. I don't really care about the punchline second feature. 
I'm just going to say we'll touch on it. I actually am I kind of interested in it because I obviously feel it's going to dovetail back in. But there's bits and pieces in the in the backup that I that I enjoyed. But obviously, we're really here for Jim Gordon, right? Right. Okay. So this great, perfect. We have discussed this uh, as this. You know, we're only four issues into the story arc. But as I'm reading this issue, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, this little bit here feels like it's wrapping up, or at least mostly wrapping up, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a Joker book in name, but it's more or less a stealth Jim Gordon book, right? Right. And I'm reading the book. I made you be like four or five pages in. And I'm saying to myself, how are they going to extend this further? Because, like, it, are they going to move it off of Jim Gordon to someone else? Like, is Joker still going to be, like, the force of nature that moves through the universe and... James Gordon's going to go off and then somebody else is going to pick things up. I go, but I don't know if that's going to work then because it works with Jim Gordon. I'm like, how are they going to do this? And then in this issue, they tell us how they're going to do it. Yep. And without like giving too much away, they basically yeah, I don't want to give it away, but it's like, it's so right. perfect. Right. The Joker goes, yeah, like maybe you want to look into this kind of a deal. You know what I mean? I'm like, maybe you should Jim. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so the, my, if I have a complaint about this book, and it's a it's a it's a Joe only nitpick mm-hmm. that this book, and obviously it has to, because it's a Joker book, it's a stealth Jim Gordon book, but man, oh man, does this book hang its hat heavy on the Killing Joke? Well, what more? What story? And you know, and it's one of the th- reasons a lot of people don't like with that don't like the Killing Joke. What? Give me the more prominent story with, or the more famous story, the more that's more associated with Jim Gordon and Barbara Gordon. Give Give me one more, and you know they they can hang their hat on that one. Okay, I get you, I do, but I think. We don't have to be so upfront about it all the time. No, I get you, but I also think you know it's the it's the driving force for Jim sure. in this in this thing. Um, and I, I, I like I like the fact I, I I get what you're saying, but I like the fact that we're getting to see. And I've never really seen it. I've always read the Killing Joke, and I know the aftermath of it with Barbara and Jim. But I do like seeing jokers talking to jim about it for a little bit if that makes any sense because i've never really read that i've never haven't read a lot of batman maybe they've done it a thousand times but that's the old nbc tagline there for a little while but if you haven't seen it it's new to you you know right so okay so you never read the killing joke right no i read the killing joke but i've never really seen them like joker and and jim in the same room discussing it at any point okay okay that's what I so right and again like I said it's a Joe hang up one hundred percent but they were treating the killing joke talking about it as though this was like issue one mm-hmm. but by issue four if we're already in this far we know that the killing joke is the driving force of it but they almost specifically mention like pages that happen in the killing joke by like the like practically by page number <laughs> like right. six times in this issue. Okay. And am I exaggerating that they say page number? Yes. Am I exaggerating by six six times? Might be five. 
but like I get you do that in issue one where you really want to hammer that point home. But by the time that we're at issues four and five, it gets a passing mention. We know it's we know the killing joke is the driving force here. Let's you know, let's kind of move on. Right. Um, and I, it, you know, I, I won't harp on that because sometimes when it's a Joe nitpick, I feel like I just have to push the other way. Yeah. Not even to rib you, but just to. Like, I'm like, eh, it doesn't bother me. I didn't even notice kind of a deal. So, yeah, but uh, the thing that uh, in this is just some of the stuff that the, the I guess they're twins or whatever, the two people that are coming to get the Joker for something that they did to either their father or whatever. But, like, what the Joker does to that guy, you're like, oh, I wonder if we'll be seeing more of him. But if we do, he ain't going to look the same way anymore, Joe. Well, that's how you create a new rogue, you know? they oh. They have a... Uh... Or maybe this was his only appearance and he joins the ranks of Wild Whip and uh, Fire Fist. Yes, that is true. But maybe his sister will become, you know, become the right. new you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, beefing up that second best rogues gallery in comics book history. Uh, third best, but yes. Mm. Why did Flash, you know, have more rogues and become one and two? No, no. How dare you? Um, okay. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to brush it off at the beginning. We joke, punchline is Joker's daughter done right. Mm-hmm. She's in prison. The Royal Flush Gang stuff. I don't know. It's just not hitting it for me. Well, I've been a sucker for the Royal Flush Gang ever since Booster Gold beat them to join in Justice, Justice League International. Yeah, so. they're, they're Booster Gold rogues gallery, not Batman's rogue gallery. Right, but they're not fighting Batman. They're fighting Punchline. Who's not Booster Gold? Would you say she's Booster... Well, who's who's bigger, Booster Gold or Punchline? Uh, on this show or in general? Or both. We go with Booster one than the other. Hmm? Booster Gold. On both? Okay. But, anyway. but again, don't don't get me wrong. I like the book a lot. It's just, I was like, all right, guys, I get it. Killing joke. <laughs> so that's what we read from this past week let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week uh if you head over to longboxheroes.com every tuesday around noon eastern time we put up the pull post which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week whether you get your books in print whether you get them digitally whether you get them sent to your home whether you're waiting for them to show up on Substack, however it is that you get your books be forewarned be forearmed know what's coming out this week Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I am currently in the lead with one correct guess over Todd. And I'm... Uh, well, let's see. Let's see. Um, so I think the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Venom number 35. It is not. It's Venom 200 I'm looking forward to, Joe. No, it's Venom, yes. I thought it was Venom 300, not 200. 300, whatever it is. I'm a legacy number man, so I'm going to take that as you got it wrong. No, okay. that's the book I'm looking forward to most. Okay. It, and I'm looking, is the same? Is it the same thing, Venom? It's 30? the same. Yeah, yeah. Right. The end of Donny Cates' Venom run. Yeah, it was. it's much delayed. Uh, tons of variant covers, so on and so forth. Um, wrapping things up. Uh, and you are correct. It's issue 200. Why was it? It feels as though if you lined up all of the Venom miniseries end to end and all the other series, it's well over 300, let alone well over 200. But 
Who am you I know, to argue with Marvel's crack legacy numbering? I'll tell you why, Joe. It's because of Venom's Sign of the Boss 1 and 2. felt It was so good, it felt like 1 was 50 issues and 2 was 50 issues. <laughs> That's why. But I'll tell you on this, if there was some other stuff on here that was kind of good, it might have beat it because I feel when anything is late, it always takes the the luster off a book for me. But yeah, yeah because there was nothing truly amazing else on this list, I'm I'm still going with Venom. Well, you know, Nightwing's been really good as we've been talking. I know we're, you know, issue two or like second issue into that new Fantastic Four storyline that you liked so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so this the other thing is I feel as though King in Black kind of wrapped everything up nicely in and of itself. And I don't think that we really needed this issue, but obviously it's coming out. So we do. And I mean, I know nothing about this, but this will probably be where we're going to go from here on out with Brock and Dylan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the only thing that really didn't wrap up as far as I was concerned. So right. that's, this is probably the epilogue on that. And I'm okay with that. No Scotty Young cover. So I don't have to worry about chasing that down. Well, you should get some of those spoiler covers that you like so much. No, no spoiler cover for this one, but uh, Kyle Hotz is doing a variant on this and I'm a big sucker for his stuff as well. Uh, you're hot for his stuff. Mm-hmm. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current ongoing saga in and of itself. Todd and Joe have issues where we're reading the mid to late 2000s run on Jonah Hex by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, and uh, as much of the Spider-Clone saga as <laughs> is essential. Right. And it's all essential. Some would say every single issue of the 89 issues that Cohen's, that consist of the Spider-Clone saga are essential, but I was able to pare it down to a, a lean 70. A slender read of Clone Saga issues. <laughs> so, um, do you want me to start with uh, Jonah Hex since I started the show? You could do whatever you like, Joe. All right, Jonah Hex 32. Uh, as mentioned, Pamiotti and Gray were your writers. Uh, art by Jordy Bernay, who is becoming the regular artist on this book, seemingly at least. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jonah is in Mexico at a bullfight, and he is being tasked uh, by a man, Esteban, to avenge the uh, honor of his wife, as his wife had a dalliance with the big matador, uh, Carlos Roca. And obviously, if he, Esteban, made a, a, a pass to have the bullfighter knocked off, being he was so famous, it would come back to him. But obviously, hiring Jonah would add some levels in between to give him uh, d deniability, if you will. And uh, so just as much as happens in these stories, and I've read 32 of them so far this year, uh, so much as Jonah ends up being tied to something, which he ends up tied to something in this issue. Um, he attempts to make a deal with someone, typically a sheriff or some sort of lawman, who, within seconds of Jonah walking away, is going to just stab Jonah in the back. <laughs> but a new trope is coming up where Jonah is introduced at the beginning of the issue, or he shows up somewhere and is refusing to take a job. Right. 
it seems as though Jonah is so busy he could pick and choose the bounty work that he takes. But have you noticed the things that he's turning down? I do, I do. There's like he has a morality, and I think Esteban even says uh, the morality of gringo law does not apply here in Mexico. Um, that being said, it's just. I don't know. It's it's getting to be like a little bit tropey that like this is the thing that we're gonna hang like so many of our issues on. Of someone ca- calls to Jonah, Jonah goes and finds out it doesn't fit into his like wonky moral code, so he's not gonna take the job. But then he ends up involved in it because X Y Z, right? Right. And I say that being said, I like this issue. I thought it mm-hmm. was really good. I think it really hammered home a lot of Jonah's morals in regards to what sort of job he will or won't take. Uh, Of course, by him not taking the job, uh, Esteban and his men get the jump on him and they leave him for dead tied up to uh, like a big board in the bullfighting ring. Jonah escapes from that with the assistance of the matador that he was to be hired to assist in killing. Uh, Jonah is nursed back to help by the matador's we're supposed to believe young sister. Right, Chula. Yes, but the way that she's drawn does not give you that impression. I don't think she's a young sister. I just think she's younger, if you get what I mean. Younger than him. Younger than him, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end of all these things, Jonah shows back at the bullfighting thing, um, and it's beca- it's less that... Esteban's wife cheated on him with the bullfighter, but it's more so that Esteban, I guess, like disfigured her or like what you like. It's a little tough to tell. Like he cut off her lips. Yes, I think for kissing him. Okay. That's so, the one part of this book that, all right, I've come around a little bit on Jordy. I'm not a huge like Jordy, like J- Justin Palmiati. Like he, he worships at the altar of Jordy Bernay, but I think like all around this issue is totally functional. Other than the shot of them just showing that he's sliced, you know, he's cut off her lips and it just looks goofy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. There's no impact on it. Like if that had been Luke Ross or Phil Noto or like any of the greats that we've had so far, you'd been like, oh, but with him, he has a more cartoony style. And you're like, nope, that that just looks wonky as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So it's not so much that he has a cartoony style, but. His stylized art didn't fit what was supposed to be a grisly scene. Yeah. But it worked, too, with the bull beating him up, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's weird, like, what works and what doesn't. He, let's put it this way. If you're look, doing the disfigurement that, that was done to her, like, you should be a more, a, like, a, like, realistic artist. Or I'm trying to, like, like uh the words I'm trying to use where he's more stylized and less more detailed, a more detailed artist would have made that, that thing work. Right. We even look at last week's issue that we read issue 31 uh, Mm on that Paulo Segura. There was a bunch of grisly scenes in there that were grisly. And I'm sure if he was tasked and I'm just using the previous artist, right? Yep. If he was tasked with doing that same thing, of draw someone with their lips cut off, it would be very clear as to what was going on. Yep. So, I get what you're saying. Again, little little hang up a little bit, but I really like the issue. 
Right. And like I always say, like, not my favorite artist on Jonah, but still had to go and get a commission from him. So that's all I'll say about that. But so is it my turn or are you? Oh, it's your turn, Todd. All right. So Web of Spider-Man 126, which is part one of the trial of Peter Parker. Um, basically starts off with Peter giving a long drawn out detail of like what's what's brought us to this moment and it just seems like you know we've talked about it before we get that every issue but his thing now is he believes Kane has uh, uh, framed Ben and him because they have the same fingerprints um he's gonna go and find Kane lo and behold Kane finds him Joe so as this is going on, they end up getting a, getting a fight. Um, there's some cool stuff in the fight. This is written by Todd DeZago, who I actually like as a writer. And he's doing his best with what he's got. You know what I mean? So they end up fighting. And then we're cutting back and forth to, like, the opening statements of the trial. And obviously the, the prosecutor is just going to bury Peter, who's actually Ben, obviously, in, in this part of the story. Um, and we have the defend uh, the defendant defender who's like you know gives his opening speech and and everything, but then sits down and, and Peter's like you don't believe it. it's like it's not my job to believe or not believe. It's like I just got to do what we got to do and we'll get out of here. So I'm starting to think that that his lawyer doesn't believe what's going on. So the main thrust of the story is uh, Kane and Peter fighting, but like I, I like that Peter's like oh like you frame me. He's like I didn't frame you. I framed Ben. Ben's like the worst and you're the, you're, you're a good person. You fought stuff like that. Kind of like, almost like he has nothing against Peter kind of a deal. It's, it's, it's against Ben. We'll see where that's going. Um, then at one point we see detective, uh, what about me? What about Raven and knockout are on the lookout because he wants to, he now believes that Peter's been framed and he wants to, to, uh, clear his name, but knockout wants Kane because he killed he killed Doc Ock, who was her lover or whatever. We're not I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but uh, at the end of it, they end up meeting up with Detective Raven and Knockout. Uh, and then just as as you know, uh, Knockout made a deal with uh, det- Detective, like, oh, we won't kill him. We'll just bring him in. But she's like, oh, I'm going to break that rule. And just as she goes to attack Kane, who's there, um, Judas Traveler teleports in with his well-defined powers and says, I have need of Kane and takes Peter and teleports them so uh, away. And Knockout's like, I was so close. This was my chance. So she's mad. End of issue. Did I miss anything, Joe? No, and I got no comments. You covered everything. Um, I liked the uh, the John Romita Jr. cover, and it was a tease that I thought he was going to do the interiors on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interior artists on this, uh, Roy Burdine, Randy Emberlin, Don Hudson, uh, get a little wonky with their proportions in this issue and not in a fun, enjoyable way, in a this-doesn't-look-right sort of way. Right, right. Yeah. So then we cut to Amazing Spider-Man 403, and Judas Traveler has teleported Spider-Man and Kane to the trial of Spider-Man. You know what I mean? This is a different trial going on. And he ends up uh, uh, making Carnage the prosecutor and Kane the defender, and all the like. All the jurors are basically like uh, Ravencroft. Uh, 
inmates, I guess, you know, like the crazy people and two of the good guys who have kind of been reformed, but we'll get to that as it goes on. Um, and he's basically puts Peter as Spider-Man on trial to be, whether you're a hero or a villain, he said, like, ever since I saw you back then, I've just wondered if you were the cause of these, these, these things, or if you went away with the villains go away, kind of a deal. Um, Kane attacks Judas Traveler and Judas Traveler just, just like make short work of them. And he's like, I've heard of you. And I think, so you don't bring it up. I'll bring it up, Joe. I've heard of you. You're Scryer's man, aren't you? And he basically is like, sit down. You're going to work. You're going to do this. And you're going to be the prosecutor or the defense, the defense. And I'm not Scryer's man. He's mine. And has been for untold centuries because you keep pushing that too. So, uh-huh. um, it's once again, now I'm starting to notice the, uh, like his real thing of, uh, you know, I'm not Scryer's man. He's mine. And untold centuries just keeps repeating over. And Real, over. Really hammering that home. Huh? Right. And I just want to say, I'm starting to think Judas traveler might be full of it, Joe. Really? Yeah. So um, during the, the, this trial, uh, Carnage calls himself as a witness and he says, like, oh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be Carnage. And, you know, all the people that I killed wouldn't be dead uh, from, you know, be in the suit and everything. And Kane's like, well, weren't you a murdering freak before, like, the costume and in jail and everything? Um I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. They have a fight once again. Judas Traveler shuts that down with his well-defined powers once again. Um, cut to Ben Riley's trial, and they call Mary Jane Watson, which I thought was kind of cool. And they go through. She's like, oh, he's always been with me. Well, what about the time he's disappeared? She's like, oh, well, he's a freelance photographer, so he has to go and do things. And sometimes I don't see him for a while. And she's like, well, what about this date? And she's like. Ooh, I can't really say anything because that was when he was buried during Craven's last hunt, which was two years ago, which I like that because, like, you know, in 1994, that was two years ago. So I feel like I'm really old now. Right. Um, not, not two years. That's comic book time, you know. So, um, right. If but it's, it's, it's 1975 and that was five years ago from 1994 or 96 or whatever this is. And craven's last hunt you said 1984 and that was only two years it's like now you're gonna try to wrap your head around like how the time works in the spider universe right right so um carnage calls they would cut back to the to the spider-man trial um calls uh i guess it's the the guy who's carrying um his name is malcolm i don't know much about this character but apparently because he was jealous of one peter parker um he did he stole uh, the jackals carrying virus, whatever. I'm not even gonna, that's all confusing to me. But because it was Peter Parker, um, Carnage rips off Peter's ma- mask to like prove that he's like, well, Peter is Spider Man, so he's your problem. I'm not sure how Carnage knew that, like, and whether he'll remember that. We'll get that to that as we go. And Peter just snaps, he's like, I've had enough. Judas, if you're going to do it, just, like, destroy me as is. Like, knock down. He's like, oh, you have, you know, you fought off my paralysis. Like, once again, one of his well-defined powers. Um, but, like, in a moment. But you will be destroyed. And I, you know, stuff like that. And the guilt, the, the jury finds him guilty because he, uh, the guy turns back into Carrion. And the other guy turns back into Vermin. And they're all, like, guilty. And we're going to kill you. Um 
But Kane jumps in because he's like, you're a virtue. And that Ben Riley's a waste of genetic material and stuff like uh, just going at it. I'm like, okay, interesting. Um, cut to knockout and de- the detective. She's like, I have to go. Um, this is, you know, he's was the only one to care. And I just need some me time. And because people just don't vanish into thin air. And then she just vanishes. And I like that the, the detective's like, didn't you just say that people don't vanish into thin air? So I don't know how knockout's powers work either. Just, just going to throw in here, um, they touched on this a couple issues back leading up to Doc Ock's death, where mm-hmm. she did this disappearing thing once before. Okay. We do get the explanation of this sooner than later. Okay, that's cool. That doesn't bother me at all because she's not so up and down the chart with powers the way Judas is, if that makes right, any sense. Right, and she's sense. not as integral to the plot. Right, So I, but I just found it, I found like Jam kind of made that work, if you get what I mean. Yep. So, but, uh, so in the end, uh, because Kane stood up for Peter, he finds, Judas Traveler finds Peter innocent and um he's like i'm gonna go and he's like peter's like well what is it with you um with all this going on and he's like maybe i'll tell you someday and they end up teleporting back to the spot that they were at when they left and now uh knockouts there and she grabs a hold of the cane and she's gonna kill him and we cut to uh the asylum because he teleported all the inmates back you know because that's what you do if you're Judas Traveler. And once again, using his well-defined powers, he makes uh, Carnage forget everything about Peter because he he's like writing Peter's name on the wall and everything. And I'm like, as much as I like jammed Maddie's, this issue, like this is his worst issue of the run. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't even care about Judas Traveler anymore. It's, it's a mess. So... What's it say about these issues, right? That it feels so, like it's been untold centuries that I've been reading them. You know the episode of Batman the Animated Series of The Trial, where Batman's on trial at Arkham Asylum by his greatest villains? Yes. Yeah, do that, but with Spider-Man. No, no, didn't they borrow that from this? I mean, the other way around? Because No. I know, I'm kidding. Um, so... The biggest problem with all of this is Judas Traveler by this point. If he was the only villain in this, not that Jackal is a much more entertaining villain. Right. You mean the Joker? Jackal, I mean, sorry. Right. Jackal Joker. But the fact that the Jackal is actually directly tied into all this clone nonsense, he's at least the more compelling of the two. Right. Just by the fact that he has a direct, clear tie to the clones. Right. But then on top of that, at least with Judas Traveler, you don't have him making clone after, like, clone, like, everything's a clone. You know what I mean? Like, so not with, with Jackal, that's a deterrent, too. So Right. So the deterrent there, but with Judas Traveler, he's just such an enigma who he is, why he is, what his powers do, when they do them, why they do them, how they do them. In the first couple issues that we read, great. I want to know more. 
at this point, I just don't care. What? I want to see how he's not Scryer's man. When the reveal comes, Todd. Yep. I'm not going to say anything more. Okay. It's only 84 more weeks. It's only untold centuries till that (laughs) reveal. (laughs) Well, I think, and like I said, you know, we only have a couple more weeks of, let me look at the list here. Um, I like the fact that you'll know what issue Judas Travel reveals his plan in. Um, I don't, or at least around. We have a lot of. Sadly, Todd, we have a lot of double issues coming up. Okay. Apparently, a lot Uh, of ground to cover. This week we have Spider-Man sixty and Spectacular Spider-Man two twenty-six. How many issues of Jonah Hex do we have, Joe? Uh, just one. Wow. Just one. Uh, that's what, issue 33? I believe so, yes. Yeah, some lists I update better than others. Okay. And uh, just to give you a taste, Darwin Cook art on that one. Oh, hey, I like Darwin Cook. I know you do. That's why I brought it up. Am I right here? Yeah, issue 33. Okay. Yep. I don't know. I messed something up. I have a better list somewhere else. I have a list somewhere, too, if you need. No, I'm good. Um, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, again, of course, be sure to check out our store link underneath the banner where you can buy shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, you can also head over to our Tee Public store, tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes, where you could buy logos inspired by this show, After Dark, uh, final wrestling place, maybe new designs coming this week. I just got to get on top of it. Work's been busy. Um, there's a tea public sale next week where it's 35% off everything. So if you want these logos on cell phone covers, notebooks, tapestries, throw pillows, you can get them all there at tea public. You could also sign up for our Patreon where as little as a dollar a month, you get two bonus shows from Todd and I. Uh, one previewing the past where we look at this month, 30 years ago's previews. We just wrapped up June 1991, where X-Men number one, the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, best-selling comic of all time came out. <laughs> and yep. uh, also uh, the first issue of Wizard Magazine was solicited. No coincidence there whatsoever. Just, uh, you know, or... Uh, just those two things coming out. And then, of course, six never seen movies this week. We'll be recording uh, Damnation Alley, which was Todd's pick. Uh, the $5 and up folks get those two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And they also get After Dark three days before everyone else. Yep. Get those jokes in order. Yes. So uh, another way that you can help us out, support us, what have you, is by making any and all of your Amazon purchases through the Amazon banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Mm -hmm. Some of the, or advertising fee, excuse me. Uh, Some of the notable purchases (laughs) through the Amazon click through this past week uh, include... um, the movie Falling Down on Blu-ray. Have you ever seen the movie Falling Down? Love Falling Down. Love Falling Down. A lot of a lot of language that does not stand the test of time today, but it's still a very good movie. 
right. Even though, uh, uh, again, from the from Joel Schumacher, the director of those Batman movies. Right. Well, you know what? The Joker movie recently is just falling down done right, though. <laughs> I thought it was every other Scorsese movie done right. Oh, okay. Uh, somebody also purchased something called Gridman, the hyper agent, which appears to be some sort of kaiju thing. Okay. And somebody digitally went Green Arrow crazy, uh, purchasing a Green Lantern, Green Arrow collection of 60s and 70s stories, uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Space Traveling Heroes, Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, Green Arrow, Kevin Smith Run, uh, and the two collections, the Jeff Lemire Run and Green Arrow, Green Arrow Year One, and Green Arrow War of the Clans. So someone's right. getting ready to read a lot of good comics. That's... You know, Green Arrow sneakily and silently uh, has a lot of great runs over at DC. Yep, somebody just loves, you know, his gimmick arrows, that innocent boxing glove arrow that he uses, Joe. Oh, sure. Boxing glove arrows, handcuff arrows, (laughs) hog tie arrows. Nothing untoward going on there, right? I think he even had a glue uh, arrow that would get you stuck. No solvents to get anyone to slip out of that glue arrow? (laughs) No, I don't think so. All right. So thank you to everyone who's made any of the purchases, anyone who has uh, been and continues to be a patron, uh, anyone who's purchased a shirt, a pin, or a sticker, or told a friend, spread the word, let someone know who likes comic books to give us a try. We thank you immensely. Yep. Uh, so, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, we did. We have two, I believe. Um, the first one from Matt Turner. My next wrestling arm sleeve designed by my daughter, Lily. Um, also, P.S., tell Joe to come to a show. I miss his scent. It's a powerful scent, Matt, and quite musky. But, yes, um, that is a cool little sleeve. I, I think that will be great if that if you get on there. I like the way – you know, your daughter designed your initials right into the Iron Man uh, Infinity Gauntlet. And I'm glad she drew them as gems, not stones, Joe. Right. Uh, Matt and his partner, Andy, I think you met them both at a Comic-Con or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, their tag team name is Blue and Gold. They do a lot of very, like, their ge- they have a lot of very comic book inspired gear and stuff. Right. And uh, I don't need to come to a show. You can get my scent right through this uh, audio podcast. It's that powerful. That's right. It's Cocoa Cocoa Puffs, Jack Daniels, and Failure is your signature scent, Joe. But anyway, and also uh, we have from Rebecca's Art some piggy sketches by Rebecca, both a pig in a basket and a pig in a blanket um, of the two. Um, I like those foods equally, but I like the art equally too. So, well, I, me, the dummy that I am, did not even get the uh, double meaning there of the pig in a ba- basket, pig in a blanket, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it says, piggy lowercase, not piggy uppercase, very akin to the designs of the hit Roblox game Piggy that my kid plays. Oh, okay, so- I. Didn't know that, you know. Yes. Listen, when you have a kid, you, you you know you're unfortunately up on all this stuff. Right. You get you get into that world where I'm just like, oh, okay, food and art, uh, two of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. So thank you everyone who contributed their art, and uh, with convention season opening back up, 
Uh, if you're going to be uh, heading out to a convention, buying some stuff, be sure to tag Todd's Art Attack in it, and we'll be sure to share your cool art with the rest of our listeners. Right. So I think that's it for the main show. Yep, I think it's Wig O'Clock again, right? Oh, boy. Well, before we get into Wig O'Clock, uh, we have to first discuss uh, the first episode of the Disney Plus low-key right. television show, right? Right. So I have notes. Um, so, obviously, getting a star the caliber of uh, Tom Hiddleston to play ball. And I didn't think it was a spoiler, but, you know, we're, we're just going to tread lightly, I guess, as we can. Well, I thought uh, this was the is... spoiler. Oh, sorry? I thought this was the spoiler section, so it yeah, doesn't Yeah, spoiler section, but, you know, um, I felt as though we knew Owen Wilson was going to be in this show. I knew. Yeah, and it seemed like when the episode came out, it seemed like people were freaking out, like, oh, my God, Owen Wilson is in this. And I'm like, I think that was part of, like, the initial, like, advertised casting. Yep, and it was in, I mean, I, you don't watch a lot of, like, network TV, but he was in all the commercials for it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, again, because I live in my own little bubble when I see people, like, reacting to things, and I'm like, how did I know this and you didn't? Like, I'm very sheltered by right. by my own cause, you know? hmm So this uh, is going to be a very time travely show. Right. Wherein uh, the episode starts out at the end of the first Avengers movie, but seen from the last Avengers movie, where the group of the Avengers come back to this point to do the Back to the Future switch to get the briefcase. Basically, it's the uh, time heist part of the, the movie where they're going to get the Tesseract. Right, and we saw in the movie that Loki got away. Right, yep. And this is where this show kind of picks up. Yep, so moments after. So he thinks that he gets away, uh, he is tracked down and captured by the Time Variant Authority. Yep. And we get a whole bunch of explanations for time travel stuff. Um, while all that's going on and Loki is being arraigned, for the damage that he's done to the timeline, the Nexus events, and so forth. Uh, Owen Wilson's character, and listen, come on, it's Owen Wilson, okay? I'm with you. Um, I don't know what his character name is, it's Owen Wilson. He is investigating something else that's going on, and they have lost many groups of people to some sort of other time anomaly that's going on. Right. Um... And one of the things, of course, at this point, and you have to keep in mind that at this point when this is going on, it's technically after the first Avengers movie, but all time exists where they are at the time variant authority, headquarters, location, whatever. Right. So as Owen Wilson is questioning Loki in regards to his trial, he asks him why he likes to cause so much pain and then shows him the point from the second Thor movie where Loki directly but indirectly causes his own mother's death. Right. And this, obviously, in the timeline, Loki, this iteration of Loki, sees this um, before he does it, so that obviously messes him up a little bit, and that kind of 
rattles him. Uh, you know, Loki, who's kind of an unrattable, rattleable person, unless he's being used as a club by the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's with this kind of pivot that Owen Wilson's character is like, I need your assistance on this case to bring in this time anomaly because this time anomaly that's killing off all of these other people is you. Dun, dun, dun. Right. Um, I like this okay. Okay, here's my take on it. Early on, I I almost dislike the show. Um, the whole thing where, because there's a bit in the middle where um, Loki gets away from the time variance people and he ends up going through the thing and they find that, like, you know, all the anomalies and stuff like that. And he finds more infinity gems. And he's like, how many of these? Like, oh, these are from all the various timelines and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, they don't work here. And he's like, like, like this place has this, the, the power to shut down the infinity gems. Like, and he's wowed. And that, and he kind of gives up and goes back to Owen Wilson and, and sits down and talks with him. But I'm like, that whole bit, like up to there, I was like, he was a joke. They, they, they were, they got over on him. He's being belittled, and, and at no point can I take Loki as a legitimate threat for most of this, this episode. But then there's a moment, and like he kind of turns and he says, like, oh yeah, like it's a facade that I wear, and blah blah blah. But I do believe, like, once he realized how powerful the time variances were. That he doesn't give up. He's plotting his move, if you get what I mean. He's like, how do I... Like, I thought the gems were the big thing. Like, how do I take this over? Um, and I also think that they're setting up the time variance uh, group as the big baddie. Because as I'm watching this, I almost feel bad for Loki. Because he's like, oh, like, they're like, oh, you're... you're we're going to just kill you because you slipped out of your timeline. And it's like... Who says so? Like, because I time traveled, the Avengers time traveled, but that's okay. But because of what I did, isn't okay. Like, these these creatures, and one of them I think is Kang, is just, they're just terrible. And also, it's what's going to bring the X-Men and Fantastic Four into the main universe now. So, there's just a lot going on that I, I see, but I didn't like it till the end. And we get the villainous version of Loki, which I'm hoping we just get a mustache-twirling Loki at some point. Um, and I think this is what that's going to be, this, this version of him. Now, you mentioned Kang. Yes. You know, I like Kang. Right. If this is the introduction to Kang into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I retract all my previous statements. I don't know if it's going to be here, but you do know he's most likely showing up, right? No, because I avoid everything. But if there's any sort of time travel nonsense to be had, Kang is going to be there. Especially with Marvel soliciting a Kang miniseries that's coming out right as this show is ending. Right. So, there you go. Oh, boy. I like Kang. I know you like Kang. All those Kang first appearances I have. Oh. I better well, get he's, uh, which, now. Which one? Because wasn't he like Rama Tut also? And like he has like one of those, he has one of those Hawkman origins that's really disor- disorganized. Todd, what are you oh. talking about? Kang's origin is as clear as mud. Come on. <laughs> right, right. Anyway. No, but I, again, I like this just okay but it's tough to have Loki being the protagonist, the hero, the lead of the show. Right. 
Because he works so much better off of other characters. And him working off Owen Wilson didn't do it for me, dog. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. It's still good. It's only six episodes. It's not like I was offended and I'm not going to watch it or anything, you know? No, I came, like I said, I came around at the end, but I'm willing to give it the five more, you know? Yeah. So uh, then we have Legends of Tomorrow to discuss from this past weekend. Right. Time traveling done right. Right. Um, So, so there's no real, like, A or B story, I guess. The C story is definitely... Uh, Mick and Gary's ex-wife, fiance, whatever, going to try to get Sarah. But, like, the A-ish story is the Sarah stuff with Bishop. The B-ish story is everyone else going to get Amelia Earhart, who's at the uh, insane asylum. Right. I just want to say something really quick about Amelia Earhart. My favorite um, lookalike... To this date, like, you know, we had Kennedy so far, and who else did we have? We had uh, David, David Bowie. Bowie. But she looks the most like Amelia Earhart would, as far as I know, because I really don't know what Amelia Earhart looks like. Right. So, good on you, Legends of Tomorrow. Finding someone to look like someone I don't know what they look like. In the artist interpretations that we've seen of Amelia Earhart, I say close enough. Right. Uh, but we get the bits, of course, with every like the being that they don't have the wave rider, they're using John's house as their base of operations. Mm-hmm. Them getting under John's skin with everything. I like the bit of them trying to reconnect to Gideon through dial up was cute. Right. So you get Max Headroom. <laughs> we, I wish they leaned a bit more into the Max Headroom esque stuff. Right. Gideon Headroom. Yes. So, again, this issue was okay. I don't really care about the Sarah plot. And because that was the majority of this, I didn't care as much. Um, I'm wondering, is like, like I think it comes down to, because I like Sarah as a character. And I, thought I like she her was, as a character, yes. Right, and I thought she looked great in that blue dress. But um, the whole thing, Gideon's just a waste of a villain. He's Bishop. just a, a, a bishop. Bishop, I'm sorry. Why did I say Gideon? Um, Because I'm thinking of Gideon the computer. Bishop is just a waste of a villain. I think at this point, like, you know how we talk, like, we we think Warner Brothers keeps bait and switching Legends of Tomorrow on characters that they can have. I have a feeling that Bishop was supposed to be like a villain. And they're just like, we're done with this. We're going to create our own. And in a world, like, where I'm all for camp and chewing scenery, he's not very good at it. Like, it's just... All yeah, right. he's trying. Yeah, but he's failing miserably. Like so, the singing, the singing all the lines, I don't care. and you know, I don't know. Now, you said the bait and switch with characters. Do you feel that he's supposed to be like a Vandal Savage analog? Well, we already had Vandal Savage. I'm thinking he's supposed to be one of the scientists that they came up with. Like, you know, one of the DC scientists. I can't put my finger on who, who it should be. Okay. But maybe down the line I'll I'll figure it out. But I just feel like because obviously this is a new character. I've never heard of a, a bishop in the DC universe that did this stuff. So I'm guessing he's an original character. And of course, and then Spooner is like everyone's trying to figure out like, well, who's she supposed to be? 
And she's probably like another original character. Yeah, I always said she was supposed to be Ginny Hex. Right. So it, it certainly feels as though there's characters that we were supposed to get and they couldn't get rights to, so they just kind of repurpose them into new characters, mm-hmm. which is fine. I'm okay with that. You know, you have a base here. It takes place in the DC universe. There's enough DC people here for me to care, you know? Right, right. Um, and then we get the bit at the end where um, I guess we're led to believe that what Bishop is doing is he has cloned himself many, many times over and will continue to clone himself many times over. And he has been and he is and has not only cloned Ava, but he's also cloned Sarah. Yes, because Sarah originally died when she was poisoned by Amelia Earhart. Right. Which I that was the only thing that kind of shook me in this episode. I was like, that oh, was a okay. great cliffhanger. You yes, would think I, the two of us would be sick and tired of clones by this point. Oh, this is clone saga done right, Joe. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It just, I just really like all around don't care. And I'm like, even the Mick and uh, the Mick and the alien Gary's wife. I don't, I don't really care about. Um, and the, I do like toilet Gary. That was funny. But uh, other than that, I don't know. I just this this episode didn't wow me. Yeah, like I said, it was just okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I know with this, we have two more weeks of episodes, and then they're taking the weekend of 4th of July off. Right. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes. I, I've, I have a feeling we're going to have very little wiggle room between the end of Legends of Tomorrow and the start of Stargirl. I believe so, too. Yeah. And I've already started to see the trailers for Stargirl uh, wiggle out now, so... Yeah, I've been I've been seeing them and avoiding them. Right, right. I won't tell you anything so you don't get mad at me. All right, I don't like getting mad. Urgh. Right, Urgh. Well, then why did we do the clone saga joke? Because I thought it would be okay. It'll get there eventually, maybe, I hope. I remember right. Untold centuries. All right. I think that's enough show for this week, huh? I think so, too. All right, so for Todd, this is Joe saying thank you very much for listening to episode 559 of Longbox Heroes, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named Network. The Lamborghini of Podcast Network.